We come now to our sermon passage this morning, and it's uh, Psalm 124. We're continuing on in our sermon series in the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, it's printed for you in your bulletin, but if you'd like to turn there and you have your Bible or your iPhone or, Lord help you, Android, um, Psalm I'm sorry, I'm an Apple guy. I'm a sheep, as they say. Uh, <laughs> Psalm 124, this is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. A song of ascents of David. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side, when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger flared against us, the flood would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us, the raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken. We have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give it to us, that we might not flail about in the darkness of this world, not knowing who you are and what you're up to, but rather in Scripture you show us and you illumine our hearts by your Spirit to know you, know what you're about, and thus to know ourselves in you. So I pray in these moments, show us the Lord Jesus Christ, that our hearts might love him all the more. And change us, Lord, by what we learn here, to be those who are marked by your grace. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I don't know if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, but it's one of my favorite series. And my favorite book in the Chronicles of Narnia is the, Narnia is the fifth one. It's little known. It's probably one of the least popular, but it's called A Horse and His Boy. A Horse and His Boy. And this book tells the story of a little boy named Shasta. Shasta has grown up by this riverside, and he lives with who he thinks is his dad. And he lives a very hard life. His dad puts him to work, kind of treats him like a servant. He just has to work. When he messes up, his dad beats him. And he always feels like he's out of place where he is. Well, one day, this soldier is passing through, and he stops to eat with Shasta's dad. He's just passing through. He's got his horse. He hitches his horse up, and they're having dinner. Well, Shasta overhears his dad, or the guy who thinks is his dad, talking to this man. Shasta discovers that this man's not his father at all. And Shasta was a little baby that this man had found and taken in and raised him up. That wasn't his dad. Oh, Shasta doesn't belong to this man. So Shasta decides, well, if this isn't my dad, he treats me miserably. I'm getting out of town. So he goes to the stable, and he goes to find this soldier's horse. He's going to take that horse. And then he gets the, an even bigger shock. The horse starts to speak to him. It's a talking horse. Now, this is Narnia, so it's magic. So I'm not saying, like, go out, find a horse, and see if he'll start talking to you about the troubles. But <laughs> this horse is named Bree. And he starts talking to Shasta, and he's telling Shasta about this magical land that the horse is from called Narnia. It's across this great desert. The horse has been taken captive by this soldier. So there they are, two people out of place, and they find each other where they decide, we're, we're pairing up, we're going together, we're going to Narnia, this place of freedom. And so they set out, but their pathway out of there, they must have set out in that first night and thought, this is going to be so great, so fun, we're have some adventures. It was terrible. They ran into trouble after trouble, and they kept getting chased by a lion. This lion was chasing after them. One day, Bree is, uh, Shasta's riding Bree, and they're going along, and suddenly this lion is behind them chasing them, and Bree's got to run as hard as he can as a horse to get away from this lion. 
Another night, they're camping out. And uh, they're camping out, and suddenly they hear the lion near their campsite roaring, roaring out. They're terrified because they're trying to sleep, and suddenly there's a massive lion just right there. They're wondering what's going on. Finally, they get across this desert, and they've got to go across this mountain pass, this high mountain pass, and it's dark, and a fog descends. Shasta doesn't know what to do. Bree doesn't know what to do. So they were like, well, I guess we'll take the path we saw before it fogged over, before the mist came. So they take that path, and as they're going, Shasta starts to cry because it's just been difficult. It's just been hard. And suddenly as he's walking along, as they're walking along, he feels what he thinks is a massive presence beside him, an animal, a lion, walking beside him. You can feel him right there. He can hear him breathe. The lion starts to talk to him. Well, Shasta by this time isn't surprised at talking animals, so he talks back. And he tells the lion about all the troubles they've been through. The lion reveals himself as Aslan, which is like the Jesus of Narnia, the Jesus character who saves his people, who works for his people. And as Aslan starts to speak to Shasta, he tells him something Shasta hadn't known before, that all those lions along the way were Aslan. And when they thought they were being chased by a lion, it was really Aslan pushing them onward because there were troubles and dangers coming their way and they had to get out of the way. They had to go faster. And when they were laying there in their camp and they thought a lion was roaring at their camp, it was really a lion roaring to keep the jackals away that Shasta couldn't see. They were about to be attacked. Aslan reveals that it wasn't a lion coming after them in danger. It was lion, a lion. It was him pushing them onward for them to get home to Narnia. He's been with them every step in ways Shasta couldn't understand to lead them to Narnia, to peace. Guys, we're five weeks into this sermon series on the Psalms of Ascent. And I've said that the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 to 134, are kind of like a, a playlist in the middle of the Bible. A mini uh, album uh, of songs for travelers. And this song here could have been written by Shasta. And the horse of his, or his of course he's pretend, but um, it could have been written by Shasta. It's the song of someone who has been through some stuff. Who's been through some stuff and has gained the wisdom and knowledge that can't be taught to you. It's the wisdom and knowledge that can only come to you through living in the ups and downs in life. The knowledge of what it means to actually follow after God in this world. And so I want to take some insights, I think, from this passage this morning and teach us what it means to follow after Jesus. And the first one is this, maybe bad news, the way of following Jesus is not an easy one. The way of following Jesus is not an easy one. I saw a church sign recently that made me more than a little bit angry. There's a church sign that said, trust God, it's easy. Trust God, it's easy. Easy? No. <laughs> no. The pathway of following after Jesus, the pathway of trusting God... It's one filled with love, of course. We get the assurance that the destination that we're going to, the thing at the end of this path is God leading us to wholeness and peace. But easy? Not at all. Not at all. In our world, in fact, if anything, sometimes following Jesus makes life harder. 
Following Jesus makes life hard. It means saying no to stuff we maybe want to say yes to. It means denying ourselves. It means living a sacrificial life for the sake of others. It means loving people we don't want to love. Sometimes following Jesus in this world makes our lives more difficult, not easier. It doesn't mean it's not worth it. But we can't pretend it's easy. If we say trust God, it's easy. We're just setting ourselves up for despair and failure. In this psalm, the people are looking back at the way they've traveled. And there's been a lot of dangers along the way. We just read through it. In verse 2, it speaks of being attacked by people. And then it goes into poetic imagery of being swallowed alive and drowned in their anger and swept away. This is not describing a life that can say, trust God, it's easy. But it is a life that says, trust God, he's worth it. The way of following Jesus is not an easy one, but is the path to freedom. It's the path that assures us that despite the intentions of other people, despite our own mixed motives, that God is at work. And he will not leave us to be ravaged and torn apart by the troubles that we face. We are not alone. No matter what lays ahead in our lives, we have the promise from God that when all the dust settles, all that remains for us is his love. When the dust settles, all that remains is His love. Now, we don't know the ins and outs of that, but in God, we are not lost wanderers. I know it feels that way sometimes, that we're wandering through life, not knowing where we're going, but we are not lost wanderers. We are travelers, following a path we often cannot clearly see, but a path that leads to peace and wholeness. And the thing that will make all the difference in this world on that path is not the size of the dangers that we'll face, though those may be daunting, but what's said at the beginning of this song, that the Lord is on our side. That the Lord is on our side. And what's said at the end, that our help is who? Not myself. Our help is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's going to make all the difference in the world. God has set his love on us, and that single factor is the thing that assures us victory. The love of God in Christ will outlast and even defeat Every imagined power that could come against us. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8 when he says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, nor present, or the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The pathway is not easy, but it is worth it. That brings me to my second section. The way of following Jesus is not a solo trip. It's not a solo trip. There are 107 words in this psalm that we just read. 107. Not a single one of them is I and me. 107 words. Not one of them is I or me, but 13 of them are us or we or are. The picture we have in mind, maybe, traveling in this world, shouldn't be a solo hiker. I think we can think about following Jesus and we think of somebody like traveling on the Appalachian Trail, you know, by themselves. Everything they need is on their back and they're carrying it along on that weight. But the picture we have of what it means to follow God in a world such as ours, such as ours is not a solo hiker. It's more like a caravan of refugees seeking a better land. And we're not alone. We are not alone. We travel together because we are heading to the same place because we are convinced that us together is better than us alone. And this is good news because it means the sorrows of our lives that we are going to experience are not ours to carry by ourselves. The joys are not ours to celebrate by ourselves. 
The load is lighter when we shoulder it together. The joy is greater when we laugh together. The song is louder when there are more voices to sing. The pathway is even clearer for those who come behind us when our footsteps are taken together. Our good, who we are, is intimately tied together. This is not a solo trip. Now, I've said this many times, but our appreciation of the depth of God's mercy is only increased when we see how His mercy is given to other people. There are insights into who God is as a good Father that we've sung about that I can only ever see through you, that I'll miss unless I see them through you, and, and vice versa. We will never be able to properly sing this kind of song that we're reading until we see ourselves as a community of refugees bound together. We are not home yet by the love of God, listening to and obeying the voice of Jesus and kept by Him all the way. The way is not easy, but it's worth it. And this is not a solo trip. And having walked this way together, having leaned on one another, having wept together in times of sorrow and rejoiced in times of happiness, we will sing together. And we will inherit our home together. We are a caravan of refugees arriving and going to the same place. And meaning, what I'm saying here is fast forward to the new heavens and new earth. Part of your joy and part of my joy will be watching each other unencumbered by sin, unencumbered by weakness and the scars that we have from the way other people have harmed us. Part of our joy will see, be seeing each other make whole. That will be part of our delight in the new heavens and new earth. So how do we pursue this in here now? I think a couple of ways. We prioritize worship. We prioritize coming together and hearing the word together and singing these songs together. We are formed in ways that I don't think we understand or can really know by the, the motions of worshiping together and hearing the gospel together. How else do we live this out? We develop friendships. We make room in our lives for one another. And we're purposeful about it. We serve one another when opportunities arise. And when we're going through troubles, we don't try to do it by ourselves. We lean on each other. We show up. We hold out hope for one another. If you read the book of Acts, this first generation of Christians after the resurrection of Jesus, Acts chapter 4, they had been so captured by this idea. Not just that Jesus had risen from the dead and it changed everything. Not just that their individual sins were forgiven. They were so captured by this idea of God creating a community of people to live with one another, defined by His grace, that they, uh, <laughs> they started selling their property. They started selling their land and the things that they owned if they had it. And when they got the proceeds from the sale, they would just put it in the community bank account that belonged to everybody. And it was to the point that Acts chapter 4 says that there were, quote, no poor among them. They were so captured by this idea that they said, my brother and sister in my church is more important than my nest egg. It's more important than this piece of land I own. They sold it off. They said, you have a bill to pay. That's my bill. You have a need. That's my need. It also means you have joy to celebrate. That's my joy to celebrate. We belong to one another. Now, I'm not saying go out and sell uh, your... I mean, actually, it's a good time to sell. But I'm not saying <laughs> go sell your property. You're going to need somewhere to live. Um, but I am saying that this vision, this idea of being bound together, 
It's not something that just belongs to Scripture. It's something that belongs to us, too. It's part of our birthright and our inheritance that God has bought for us. And it's okay for us to lean into that. We should. Because this is not a solo trip. It's not a solo trip. That brings me to my last section. And here's the best news of all. The way of following Jesus is not a pathway that we create. I mentioned earlier the hiker, that sometimes our idea of following after Jesus is a solo hiker, and maybe even we've got an idea of a guy charting a brand new path. He's got a machete, he's cutting away vines, and he's going through. No one's ever traveled this before. And that's flawed, because the pathway of following after Jesus is a pathway of following after Jesus. I mentioned a few weeks ago, what the, the first words at the beginning of this psalm, you may have noticed, the song of ascent of David. Anytime we see that, that's a clue as to what's going on. It's not just telling us that it was written by David. Maybe it was. And it's not just telling us it's about David, King David in the Old Testament, the greatest of the Old Testament kings. It's a clue to us that this song, before it belongs to us, belongs to the true son of David, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the rightful heir of God's kingdom. He was a descendant of David. David, an incredibly flawed man who fled to God in his times of being confronted by his sin, who fled and found the mercy of God. Through that line of David, that incredibly imperfect man, God worked to bring his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we see of David, this is a clue to us that before this song comes to us and belongs to us, it belongs to Jesus and is sung by him. It's intimately tied up with Jesus. Now, in the time of the Old Testament, before Jesus, Psalm 124 was probably a song led by the king. We've talked about how these songs were sung by travelers that were going to the great festivals there in Jerusalem where they would arrive, and this would be the song that the king would sing kind of at the beginning of their worship time. So imagine that, the leader of God's people. The people have arrived, and the king stands up to tell them what is most important for them to realize. If the Lord had not been on our side, let all of Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been swallowed up. But our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. They would sing, the leader, the king would sing this song to confirm to the people. Now that all pointed forward to Jesus. And in Jesus, the eternal Son of God has become one of us. Descending to where we are that we may be lifted up in Him and in His life on earth. What did He experience? Incredible troubles. The one who created all things came into a world that was utterly marred by sin and its effects. And He was rejected. He was scorned. He was resisted. He was beaten. He was spat upon and crucified. In the terms of this psalm, He was attacked, Right? And in the life of Jesus, what do we see? He was swallowed up in the anger of people that were against him. He was engulfed and swept away. But what happened to him, all of this happened to him that it might not happen to us. That's the good news when the New Testament talks about Jesus being our mediator, being our stand-in, being our go-between, being the one who experienced what we deserve so that we don't have to. All of this happened to Jesus and think about it this way, in his obedience, in his righteous life on this earth, he was carving away the vines. He was making a pathway for us. He was cutting out the undergrowth. He was making a way where there literally was no way, taking on and experiencing all that he had to 
connected to make this pathway open to us. Jesus faced all of this. He cried out in his crucifixion. You remember, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said that so that we never have to. He was forsaken by God, taking our sin on his shoulders so that we might know we will never be forsaken. And in his resurrection from the dead, he kicked open a doorway on the other side of death. So even that great enemy that stood against us would be subdued. He went first to clear the way. He went first to clear the way. So that he could turn back and say, come on, trust me, trust God. It's not easy. Watch your step here. Duck your head here. Jump over this part. It's not easy, but it's worth it. We're following the pathway that we do not create. In closing, I want to look again at the verses we looked at at the very beginning of our service, a call to worship in Romans 8, near the beginning. He uses the famous verse that, in, quote, in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. Now this is a verse, maybe more than any other in the Bible, that has been misused time and time and time again. It's been used to clobber people who are suffering over the head. As if the verse says, whatever is happening to you is good. Be thankful for it. In fact, just this week I saw an article written to moms, actually, that said, what, quote, what if motherhood was meant to be hard? <laughs> As if the difficulties are good things and that the real problem is our perspective. The call to trust God in our difficulties and the thing that is shown to us in verses like Romans 8.28 is not that we should think that the problem is us and our perspective. This verse does not say that the difficult things that happen aren't difficult. It does not say that the bad things are truly good. It doesn't say that. But it does say that in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of the hardships, we are not alone. That God is at work to ensure that His purposes for our good will not be overcome by the trials of this life. That when the dust settles, as I said, and every enemy has finally been subdued and put away, we will find ourselves whole and home with Him. Now, you may be in the middle of something right now. You may be coming out of a trial. You may be heading into one you can't even see on the horizon. There's surely something ahead that we're not seeing yet. But hear me this morning. In fact, don't hear me. Hear Jesus this morning. What awaits us in our pathway is not ultimately failure, though we may fail. The end of your story is not your sin, though you may, be, you may sin and you may sin big. There may be much ahead that will hurt and cloud your vision and seem impossible to get through, but it's not. It's not. Because in Jesus, God is on our side, guiding us home. And He will not let us stumble into despair. He will not let the lies win out over His truth. Trust your, entrust yourself to Him. He's not a stranger to your suffering, but He's gone into it before you and is with you in it even now. Friends, trust God. Not trust God, it's easy. Trust God, it's not easy, but it's worth it. But don't go alone. Let's go together and follow the way that Jesus is charted out for us to follow. For it is the way home. It is the way to peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you don't pretend like the difficulties of this world aren't difficult. That we don't look in your word and we see, uh, don't worry, be happy, or whatever. 
that we look in your word and we actually see a reflection of the realities of our world, but we also see the shining light of your promise, the shining light of the promise that we are not alone, the shining light of the promise of Jesus Christ, that sin cannot have the final word, that difficulties and trouble cannot have the final word, that you are leading us home to you, to wholeness, to peace. Encourage our hearts with this as we travel out of this place in a few moments into the world in which we inhabit. Encourage us by your gospel. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.